Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. We started a series last week called Samson Lies, Love, and Lions because that's what is in the book of Judges. And uh, it, it tells us about this hero, this guy that we know called Samson. And Samson, uh, he, by, by all accounts, he is an incredible hero that ends up making some mistakes along the way. But I think that as a culture, we love heroes. Uh, I just don't know if you noticed, but I interviewed a few heroes this morning on platform because God is still in the business of raising heroes and sending people to transform the culture and to bring the right kind of change to the world in which we live. And so I think that God wants to raise people up from this room and other churches uh, around the globe to make a significant difference on planet Earth. Now, if you were not here last week, then you may not fully appreciate the background story that necessitates a hero like Samson. And I want to catch you up this morning in case you were not here or that you don't understand the background. I'm going to do that real quick so that you know why a hero like Samson needed to be sent in the first place. At this point, as we read the Bible, at this point in history, Israel are morally lost. They have been worshipping idols. They did a whole heap of things that God had told them not to do. And as a result of that, they are not in a good way. Normally, the nation of Israel would cry out to God when things got tough or they realized they'd made a mistake. At this point, they are still so morally lost and they feel so far from God. And I, I don't know if you've ever felt like that personally, like you can't go back to God asking for forgiveness for the same sins that you keep committing because as a nation, they kept doing it, but they're not even asking God for help anymore. And as a result of that, they're ruled by a group of people called the Philistines and they do not want to be, but they don't have any choices about it because that's what how oppression works. It just rules over them. And because of that, it takes away their choice. It takes away their ability to make the kind of decisions that they would like to make as a nation. And maybe you have felt like that personally. I mean, I get that we are not ruled by the Philistines. We don't have that today. But there would be people in this room today who at some point in their life and in their journey have been ruled by something that felt like it was taking away their freedom to make the right decisions for their life. Like their freedom to make the right decisions that would honor God. And it's a really horrible place to feel like you are ruled by something, whatever it is. It could be your current financial situation is ruling and presiding over your life in a way that you don't want it to be. It could be an addiction. It could be anything, right? But it's not good to be ruled by stuff that you don't want to be ruled by. And and when that happens, it's just easy to feel stuck. You know, I don't know if you've ever felt stuck, like you just, you want to move forward, but you can't. I remember a time in my life where I felt like I wanted to move forwards, but I couldn't. I felt like I was stuck and I didn't even think really for a long time about asking God for help because I just felt like I was so far from him. And at that point, he really wouldn't want anything to do with me. And I felt stuck. I had to sort of find a way to make it through. And I can tell you that in that moment, in that season of my life where I felt like God was far from me, it just wasn't true. Because the truth is, is 
I was far from God, but God was never far from me. Did you know the Bible says that He will never leave you or forsake you? If you had a relationship with God, at some point you were close to God in some point in your history. You should know that He has promised to never leave you. Some of you may have tried to leave Him, but that's not the same thing. Because God will love you right where you're at. He will respond to you if you reach for Him. He responded to me and He responded to Israel when they needed help. And so I'm going to preach a message to you this morning called A Done Deal. I'm going to read out of Judges chapter 13 verses 2 to 5. It says this, There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. So not even from birth. This began before birth, but from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. God makes deals. God makes deals. I like making deals. I've made many deals in in my life. I remember years ago, when Sarah and I were just married and we needed to buy a new car. And so we went to the dealership and uh, started the negotiation process to make a deal for us to buy a car. And I remember that we, we got down there probably about an hour before closing time, you know. And it's actually kind of good to do that, to arrive before, because so, they want to go home, okay. So they need to make this deal quickly. So it's, we get there, it's about an hour before closing time. I walk in. I remember it was winter because it was cold and we stood outside. The dealership closed at 5 o'clock and it began to rain just before that. At 5.30 p.m., we were still arguing over the price that I should pay for this car. And this guy eventually wanting to go home and standing in the rain, he eventually said, fine, you can have this car for the price that you want it. But he was a bit sneaky because what he didn't tell me is that to, to give me the price that I wanted, he started taking things out of the deal. So he said things like, you can have the car. But what he didn't tell me is that he wasn't going to give me the new tires that he promised earlier. And you can have the car, but I'm not going to give you your free tanks of petrol that, that they were giving away on that particular weekend. He started pulling things out of the deal. So we're both trying to make a deal. I want one that benefits me. He wants one that benefits him. And those two things are kind of a little bit opposed. So anyway, we're making this deal and we sat down and eventually I was happy and we're writing up the paperwork and it's all there. And I said, well, how do I, you know, uh, collect my, uh, you know, fuel that you're going to give me, like how many free tanks of fuel, like how do I get that and when do the tires go on the car and all the rest. And, and he turned and he said, oh no, you don't, you don't have that. I said, what do you mean? He said, you can't have that. He said, I had to take those things out of the deal just to make it work. I said, are you kidding me? I said, you didn't tell me about that. He said, well, that's what I needed to do. I said, well, that's disappointing. You can take that contract and you can tear it up right now because I feel like you've been a bit dishonest. You didn't tell me the truth about this and I don't want any part of this. So tear it up right now. At this exact moment, this man was frustrated beyond belief 
He had tried to sell me every upgrade that he could, and I said no to all of it. You know, they try to sell you paint protection. I said, what is that? He said, oh, well, they put an electric charge through the paint particles and the molecules will form together and form a protective barrier over your car. I'm like, that sounds like magic. That is not an actual thing, and I am not getting paint protection. So, so anyway, we get to the end. I said, tear up the contract, right? And he was so frustrated that he, he, he grabbed his hair on his head, right? The hair that he had left on his head anyway. And and I've never really seen this in real life, but he pulled at it with intensity and out it came. And he was had in between his fingers tufts of his hair. He didn't have enough left to pull the rest out. And so there it was. And I remember looking at Sarah and I said, I think we've pushed this guy too far, you know, but I got the car at the price that I want. And that was the deal that I made. I wanted everything to work my way. I, I, I remember when I first came back to being in a relationship with God, before that even happened, trying to make a deal with God. And my deal was ridiculous. I said to God, Lord, you know, not having spoken to him for 10 years, if you bless me in some way, and I can't remember the blessing that I wanted, but it was probably money or something like that. And God, I just need you to help me or whatever it was. God, if you, if you bless me and if you help me, then uh, I will. And I'm trying to come up, some, come up with something that he might be interested in. And so I throw out there to make the deal work. I said, you know what I'll do? I'll go to church for you. I will throw that into this deal. As the words come out of my mouth, I realize how hollow and shallow they sound. If you bless me in all these ways, I'll show up on Sunday for you. I, upon realizing how shallow that was, I decided that particular day that I would just go to church anyway. And I remember going there thinking about the kind of deals that I'd need to make. Like, what would I need to do to now earn this blessing and this favor and all of this stuff that God could give to me? And so I'm on my way. And when I get there, I found the deal had already been done. There was already a deal, mate. I was trying to find out what I would need to do to be blessed. One of the things that I didn't realize is that I was already blessed, that God had done everything necessary to put me in a position of blessing. And there was nothing I needed to do. I didn't have to work my way into the favor and graces of God. I already had it. I had it because when I was a kid, I gave my life to Him. And even though He felt far, He never left me. And that's why we call the gospel good news. Because the gospel requires none of us. And it's everything that he's ever done for us. That was a deal that God made with humanity. If you believe in my son, Jesus, and you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, I will set you free from sin and I will put his perfect life on your life. And you can always pray to me and know that I will be close to you. And that's why we call it good news. That's a good deal, right? Okay, so the disciples of Jesus they didn't realize how good this deal was. So if you can imagine being disciples, following Jesus, expecting one thing while he's actually delivering another. And they didn't understand. So the Messiah, this person that they believed was going to make a big difference and change their lives and, and, and throw off the oppression of the Roman Empire, right? And what he was really doing is dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And they didn't know. And they said, God, what are you doing? This is what I've learned about having a relationship with God. He doesn't always tell you what he's doing. Amen? And anybody, anybody agree with that today? Yeah. 
He doesn't always tell you what he's doing, but you always know why he's doing it. This is very important to understand this. Because when you don't know what God is doing, it's important to understand why he's doing anything. Did you know the, the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love? And not that he knows how to love really well. Because if we said that, I feel like that would be so far below what the scripture declares. Not that he's cornered the market on love or he's amazing at loving. No, it says he is love. Like that literally emanates from his being. He is love. I think this is so important to know because often we don't know what God is doing. But when we're trying to interpret our circumstances, we always have to know why he's doing it. And it's always because he loves. And interpreting that is not always as easy as it appears. Because I think about this couple, Manoah and his wife. And here they are and they can't have children. And they're barren. And I wonder how that felt for them. I wonder how they interpreted their circumstances. I wonder if they felt that God was loving even though they couldn't fall pregnant. You know, in, the, in that culture, in that day, at this time, if you weren't able to have children, do you know what the culture around you believed? They believed that if you couldn't have children, God was essentially outing you by publicly shaming you, because it was a shameful thing to not be able to have children. And it was God's way of punishing you publicly for sins you were committing privately. And people would look at them as they walked down the street as this couple begin to age and get older, realizing, of course, that to have children was such a blessing in that culture. And they watched this aging couple begin to walk down the street and people would say, well, I don't know what they've been doing behind closed doors. I don't know what secret sin they've got, but it's pretty clear that God is punishing them. Beware of the couple without children. There's stuff going on in their hearts and their lives. Only we know that's not true. The culture believed that. Hey, this newsflash, not everything our culture believes is true. And that wasn't true. That wasn't true that God was punishing them. And do you know how we know that? We know that he wasn't punishing Manoah's wife because he chose her. Right? That's how we know. Because if he was punishing her for, for something that she did wrong, it seems unlikely that he would then choose her to have the privilege of giving birth to a child that would be called Samson that would free Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. And it wasn't like he didn't have options. There were lots of Israelites. He could have chosen anyone he wanted, but he chose this couple. He chose this woman. Sometimes we think God is punishing us when he's not. Here's the truth about this. We live in a fallen and broken world and sin has contaminated creation and some things don't happen the way that they should. And that is frustrating and it is disappointing and it's not something that we want, but it's not necessarily God punishing us. So here God comes and he chooses Manoah's wife. By the way, I'm going to keep calling her Manoah's wife because we don't know what her name was. 
In fact, the Bible never tells us what Manoah's wife's name was. Often he just calls her woman. So anyway, so anyway, Manoah's wife was not chosen because she was good either. Like God didn't look at her and say, you are so amazing, I will choose you. That's not what it was. And so God doesn't, he's not punishing them, but he's not choosing them because they're amazing. Well, hang on. Why does God doing anything? Oh, you, you know why God does anything? Because he loves. That's why God does anything. And they probably didn't understand what God was doing, but we all know why he was doing it. He was doing it because he loves. And you read this story and, and you say, okay, okay, Pastor Ben, I get this. So you're saying that everything that God does is love, right? And I should interpret my circumstances through the lens of love. And yet we look at this culture that are enslaved by the, uh, you know, the Philistines for 40 years. Tell me how that's love. That's, that's not love. That's what we call consequence. And that is not the same thing. Because God loves people enough to give them boundaries. And he says, if you step outside of those boundaries, listen, God will do everything he can to put the right boundaries in your earthly life so you can have an eternal existence with him. And the point is, is that if you step outside of the boundaries, sometimes there are consequences that you'll encounter in life. And consequences are not necessarily God punishing you. Do you know what consequence is? Consequence is you punishing you. By making the wrong, the wrong decisions. And you know, despite the fact that you have made some wrong decisions, God will still reach for you and he will take you back every time. And why would God take anyone back when they don't love him or that they do the wrong thing? Why would God do that? Because he loves them. And you know what we call that? We call that grace. And the Bible tells us this overarching story of this God who is full of grace. Here's something you need to know. God delivers you when you don't deserve it. I thought you'd be more excited about that, everybody, to be honest. Because uh, if you take a little inward look, you're actually probably not that great in the grand scheme of things. In terms of impressing God, you know, He will deliver you from the stuff that's in your life. He will do it when you don't deserve it. Imagine a God that only delivered you when you did deserve it. We are all in trouble. You know, me included. We are all in trouble. But that's not how God works. He delivers you when you don't deserve it. Because no matter how far you've gone, God will still reach for you. That's a good deal. Amen? Here's a deal He makes to Israel. He says, I will send Samson and he will save you. That's a good deal. And Israel did nothing to deserve that because they weren't asking for help. They were morally backwards. They, they were just stuck. They needed deliverance, but God will deliver you when you don't deserve it. And so that's what he does to Israel. So this angel of the Lord comes and he, and he speaks to Manoah's wife and he tells her everything that she needs to do. I love this story because the angel of the Lord tells Manoah's wife, but not Manoah. And it's funny because in the story, we don't even know her name. And we're like, well, because, you know, Manoah is the patriarch and he's important. Well, not important enough to the angel of the Lord to run everything through the husband to the wife. He goes straight to her and he explains everything to her. And Manoah's like, okay, well, it's not like I don't believe you, sweetheart. It'd just be good to hear it for myself, you know. 
So then it comes to Judges chapter 13, verse 8. It says, Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her again. Isn't that hilarious? So I think like the angel of the Lord is making a real point here. Like he said, okay, it'd be really good to hear it again. He goes, okay, go straight to the wife. Doesn't tell the husband. Again, second time. I think what he's really saying is, hey, it's really cute that you think that you're the patriarch. Yeah, you're in charge of everything, but I am doing something with your wife and this is happening. And so it says in verse 10, so the woman, so the woman ran quickly and told her husband, behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me and Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? Like he doesn't know her name? Why did he say that? If I bump into you in the foyer and you're having a conversation with my wife, Sarah, and I said to you, are you speaking to this woman? She would hit me. And she should. I just can't believe this. Did you speak to this woman? And so the angel of God says, I am. Are you the one that spoke to this woman? He says, I am. And Manoah said, now when your words come true, which tells us that he actually still did believe his wife. What is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? How profound. What is to be the the manner of this child's life? There's something special about this child. We know that he's going to have a mission because he's been sent by God to do something. Can I tell you something today? You are sent by God to do something in this culture, in this world. If you know Jesus, you have been called and sent. Look at the person next to you and just tell them, in case they're confused by it, you're sent. Now, so the other person is not confused, say you too. Uh, Guys, I didn't hear enough chitter chatter. This is the one time in church I want you to speak. Say your scent. Look at the other person, say you too. You are sent by God. Now, you may not know what your mission is yet, but I tell you this right now, there is something God's got for you. And part of the journey of life is discovering what it is and then living it out and being bold and courageous enough to do it. What is his life and mission? Verse 13, it says, And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink strong uh, drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. It's so funny because I feel like Manoah is looking for greater clarification. So like, you know, you know, the big boys are going to have a chat. Let me talk to the angel. And he says, I told your wife, what I already told her, just listen to her. I should have called this message, just listen to your wife. But I didn't know if it would be helpful for your marriage, so I just didn't call it that. So anyway, he just tells Manoah's wife. She relays the message and now he says, this is what we've got to do. Let me, let me explain something to you today. God changes the world through people he changes He changes the world through people he changes. I think it's just his preferred method. Because it's not like he's not sovereign and it's not like he's not powerful. It's not like he can't do it on his own. I think he likes to do it because you know what he wants to do? He just wants you to know that he can take broken individuals and do amazing ministry when they put their life in his hands. 
So for anyone that's here today that says, I don't know if you can do anything with me, this is what he specializes in. He will change the world through people he changes. And so we look at this, and what is the thing that they're told to do? He says that Samson is going to be a Nazarite. The word Nazarite means set apart. When we say set apart, when we say anything in the Bible is set apart for a holy purpose, the word that we would use, a, a, a theological word that we might use would be sanctified. Is sanctified or consecrated. It's set apart for a holy purpose. And that is the vow that Samson needs to take, a Nazarite vow. By the way, anyone could take a Nazarite vow. So anyone could do it. It wasn't just Samson. That was what they were told to do. But anyone could take a Nazarite vow. And you weren't allowed to, you know, let no razor touch your head. So what they would do as a sign that the vow was over, they would often shave their heads and say, now the time of my vowing has come to a close. And this is it. I'm moving on. And and if you look back at the vow and the things that they have to do, you know, come on, like, you know, don't drink this and don't eat that and and don't touch this. And it was all about pure. It was all about holiness. Set yourself apart and become more holy for the purpose to which I'm calling you. That's why they would do it. And so the angel comes, but not to Samson, to Samson's parents. See, Samson's not even on the radar just yet. And the angel comes to Samson's parents and he says, right. You are going to raise a Nazarite, not from birth, but from the womb. So Manoah's wife, this is what this means for you. You will now live during the time of your pregnancy as a Nazarite so that the child that's growing in your womb will be a Nazarite from the womb. It is your responsibility, mum of Samson, to make sure that you're living your life right because the child that will begin to grow in your womb doesn't even exist. They have no say over it. There's nothing that they can do about it. Samson's mum, you need to start living your life right now. You need to do what I'm asking you to do right now. Now, you're going to have to stop eating some things and stop drinking some things. And it's, and it's like just a, a whole change to the menu, probably in their household. I mean, the modern day equivalent of this would be like if your wife became vegan, you know. And, and there's no more butter in the house. It's just nutlicks. And the meat that you loved, see, someone's receiving this word. And the meat you loved is now lentils. You know, and so they have to change it, change it all. Why? Because the parents were called. Did you get that? Did you see that Samson's parents were called? Samson was called, but Samson's parents were called before Samson even existed. They have to understand that they needed to steward that responsibility. Did you know that you need to steward your calling? They had to manage it well before Samson was even here. See, you might have a calling, but you still need to steward it. You might be gifted and able to do amazing things, but you still need to steward it. You still need to manage it. Listen, you need to manage your life well. When you manage your life well, you begin to steward your calling 
I'll tell you why that's important for this room, because every single person in here that knows Jesus, that has asked Jesus to come into their life, every single Christ follower this morning is in some way called. We know that because we have something we call the Great Commission. And the Great Commission was the call to all of Jesus' disciples to go out into the world and change it and make it different. Now, you need to understand that's something that God wants you to do, but you need to manage your life well so that you can be enabled to do it. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that in Hebrews 10.10, that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. See, you don't need to take a Nazarite vow in order to become holy and separate yourself for a holy and designated purpose. Just a little like, like theological add-on here today. If you give your life to Jesus, you didn't just get the forgiveness of your sin. You also received from God the righteousness of Christ. When you receive that by faith, that is a statement about your current being and existence saying that not because you're amazing, but because He is, you are now holy and set apart for the purposes of God. And if you're unsure about that, let me read to you a scripture I just read to you from Hebrews 10.10. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The magnitude of Jesus' death on the cross was so significant that even though He died 2,000 years ago, the spilling of His blood then is enough to sanctify you now. And because of that, you can step out by faith into what God has called you to do, but you still, you still need to manage that calling by stewarding your life. See, God prepares the way. That's what the gospel was about. God prepares the way. He will prepare the path. It is a done deal. The forgiveness of sin. He has created a clear path for you, but you still need to walk it out. It's all been done, everybody. It's been done 2,000 years ago. It's been done. The path is clear for you to walk it out, but you still got to walk it out. You got to partner with it. I remember when I was working in, back in my recruitment days and the church offered me a job here and I accepted the job. And when I resigned, one of the things that the guys asked me is they said, hey, so what's the salary? What does it pay? And I said, well, it's a lot less than what I'm currently earning. And in that, in that culture, in my office, they thought that was the strangest thing that they had ever heard in your life. Why would you leave something that pays you well for something that doesn't pay you well? This doesn't make sense. And then one bright spark had an idea. And they said, wait, 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 wait. I've heard about this. Is this a calling? This is one of those callings, yes? And I said, it is actually. This is what you would call a calling. God has called me to leave my current life and job to embrace something new. And yeah, there's a little bit of a sacrifice there. But guys, get this. There is often still a sacrifice for the stuff that you love. Now, the offer was made, but I still had to accept it, right? Right? 
So, Pastor Ben, would you come and work at this church? The path is clear, but I still got to say yes, right? Which I did, and I, and I took that job, and, and now I'm here. And how many of you know that the path is clear, but you still got to walk it? And you've got to manage your life as you do it. See, something that's really important that we understand is if we don't manage this thing called our calling, if we don't manage it, we can really mess up this deal. And the thing is, I've seen this happen. I've seen people, and let's, let's go with pastors just because they're probably the most obvious version of someone that is called. Is that okay? Can I do that today? All right. So there are plenty of pastors around the world that are called, gifted, and graced, but they didn't manage their life well. And as a result, they have lost churches and people have walked away and they have lost positions that they've held. I'm still one affair away from losing my job. Here's the sad part. I would be just as cold then as I am now. But there is a big difference between having favor with God and having favor with man. And there is still something that we call consequence. Is God trying to punish me? Will God be trying to destroy my life? No, no, no. That's just called consequence. And as I look around in different articles that I read, I see here's another church pastor that made one bad moral decision and now has lost everything he was working to gain. You've got to manage this thing well. If you don't, if you don't manage the finances of a church, then it shuts its door. And yes, it's a spiritual thing, but there's still consequences attached to the mismanagement of financial stewardship. Do you get what I'm saying today? I'm saying that if you make mistakes with your life, you will be just as called, just as gifted, just as graced, and still you could have no expression of that gift or calling. Why? Because you didn't manage it. You didn't steward it. You've got to steward your life well. Think about the consequences attached. Let me ask you a couple of questions today. How do you manage pressure? That's so important to know. Because we all have pressures. And we all have challenges. And when you step out to do something for God and you don't address how you manage stress or pressure it can come up again if you don't deal with it and it can become a problem again for you in your future how do you manage stress or pressure if you you manage stress or pressure by escaping how do people escape drugs, alcohol sex, whatever it is People will use things to escape so they don't feel the pain. But if that's how you manage pain and you don't deal with that, you're going to start to walk out your calling. But as you walk it out, you're going to have problems along the way. And if you begin to allow some inappropriate expression of stress management because you didn't learn to deal with it, it's going to affect your calling. You'll be just as called, just as gifted, just as graced. And still you can't do anything about it because... You didn't manage how you handle stress. You got to deal with it. Do you know how you deal with stress? Do you, do, do you know what it would take for you to give up to maybe do what God has called and gifted and asked you to do? I wonder what you could be messing up now that would mean you don't get to walk in that grace tomorrow. Don't mess up today what God wants to bless tomorrow because 
As much as God loves you, there are still consequences attached to poor decisions. That is not God punishing you. That is you punishing you. So please love yourself enough to make good decisions in your current season today, stewarding what you've got now so that you can walk in something greater tomorrow. Think about who you've got in your life. Is there some form of accountability that you've got? And I don't mean like some authoritative figure. I mean, do you have someone that that you would go to and say, I'm just struggling. I, I need help with this. If the only person that knows your secrets is you, you could be in trouble because you're not getting the wisdom of people that would begin to guide you out of it. Don't keep everything buried in here and begin to explode. But first from the inside out, because you didn't manage it, get a small group, speak to your leader, but find someone who you can be honest with because that is one of the first steps to managing how you handle your season. Manage it well, deal with it today. Here's what you need to do. Be faithful. Because faithfulness today positions you for blessing tomorrow. Here's a good thing to think about. Just think about the life you want to walk in tomorrow. Now bring it back to today and say, what do I need to do today so I can live in that tomorrow? Begin to get a vision, maybe for where God is wanting to lead you and where God is wanting to take you. Manoah and his wife are called to protect this little baby as he grows up into a saviour. Because I bet when he was three months old and drooling, they were unconvinced that this guy was going to save anyone. They're like, really? He can't look after him. This guy's going to be the saviour, right? Because they had to protect what God had had entrusted to them, right? Man, I remember this. I remember when, when Sarah and I we went and we did some prenatal classes. And so we were sitting there and we, we actually paid for this. And so we're sitting in a circle with a whole heap of other parents and they're giving us good advice. And I remember one of the words, I don't remember much about that, but I remember these words of advice and wisdom. And they said to us, hey, just remember, don't shake your baby. And I thought, what kind of sick people am I sitting with today or have they judged me? Did they look at us and say, we should tell these people not to shake their baby? What is it about our appearance that made anyone think that we would shake our baby? This is so bizarre. Come on, we paid for this and you're saying don't shake your baby. Who would shake a baby, right? All right, so about three months after we had our first child, here I am and I'm holding this beautiful little child, but it's three in the morning and I haven't slept in hours and he's not going to sleep and I'm like doing everything I can and I'm, you know, like lifting him up and down and slowly, right? But as sleep deprivation begins to creep in, I'm like the, the, the you know, gentle rocking started to become, oh my gosh, I think I'm shaking. And I remembered the words of wisdom that said, don't shake your baby and I thought oh thank God that I heard those smart words not to shake your baby because I was on the verge of shaking mine and here he is this little precious baby that's going to grow up into someone amazing but I've got to 
I've got to protect him now so that he can grow into something tomorrow. See, sometimes what God does is he gives you the seed of something that will grow into something else. Some of you are in here today and you have the seed of something great. And if you protect what God has entrusted to you, God says, don't despise the day of humble beginnings. You have the seed of something right now. But if you don't look after it and you don't protect it and you don't manage it well in its current season, that seed won't grow up into the thing that it's supposed to become. So what you gotta do, you gotta, you gotta manage your life well. Protect what God has entrusted to you by making the right decisions today. Let me, I gotta finish, but let me finish with this scripture. Manoah invites, this is so funny. Because after this moment, when Manoah has had a conversation with the angel of God, and he said, so what do we need to do? And he's like, are you kidding me? Just do what I told your wife to do, right? And then I imagine it being followed by some kind of awkward silence because the angel of God is standing in front of him and he says, do everything that I told your wife to do. And he says, okay. Uh, Would you like to stay for dinner? (laughs) He invites God to dinner. He doesn't know what else to do. And the angel of God says, look, I'm not going to stay for dinner. He says, but you know what? I'm going to... You know, Noah says, I'm going to do an offering or something. Okay, great. So they get this offering ready. And as they're getting it ready, the angel of God disappears up into the flame. And it's only at that moment that Manoah says, oh my gosh, do you realize who that was? Chapter 13, verse 21, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. And Manoah knew that it was the angel of the Lord. Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. He is freaking out. And listen to what his wife says, the one with brains. She says, Are you kidding me? You meant to lead our family, and this is what you're coming up with? But his wife, see, I told you I should have called this message, Listen to your wife. In verse 23, but his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things. Or my gosh, Manoah, I can't believe I'm saying this to you, but he would not have announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to began to stir him. Some of you are beginning to be stirred by things that you want to be different. Right now, the stirring is a seed that God is depositing. And you're supposed to take the thing that He's deposited and begin to protect it by making great decisions in this season. So whatever that stirring is, will have expression in the next. Does that make sense? I want you to stand to your feet. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.